You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply addiction to thinking. In this podcast, Eckhart answers questions on several topics, including one about addiction. He says, people are addicted to many substances, but the greatest addiction of all is thinking. It's like a drug and people cannot stop. They resist letting go because it shields them from the painful part of their lives. Eckhart says the solution is presence. Becoming aware slows down an overactive mind. Our confusion dissipates, and thinking loses its ability to wreak havoc in our lives. When I try to become present using one of the portals like following the breath, I very quickly fall below the level of thought, and I either fall asleep or I kind of fall into a dull calm that doesn't have any alertness. Do you have any suggestions? Thank you. Thank you. That is the case with many people. When you step out of thought, here's, let's say, here's the level of thinking. And then you have a vastness below thinking, so to speak, and a vastness above thinking. <laughs> and when you rise above thinking, it can happen that suddenly you plunge back into thinking and then through thinking and end up below thinking. So. This is the case with even many Buddhist monks who meditate. Many years ago, I occasionally visited Buddhist monasteries, and I saw the monks who meditate early in the morning. Of course, it's five o'clock in the morning. They sit very present, and then after 15, 20 minutes, as you can see some of them. I must have probably wasn't meditating because I was watching them. <laughs> And so some go, <laughs> they never actually fall, but they have fallen below thinking. Your practice then should be not so much practicing when you are sitting still, but to incorporate the practice of presence into activities rather than like this. And that can be done in many, many ways. You can make a conscious choice to use a certain activity and make them short at first. If it's too long, you won't keep it up probably. But begin with short activities and use the activity as a vehicle for presence. So the activity becomes an excuse, one could almost say, for being present in the doing. And that means the doing is not 
primarily any longer a means to an end, it is an end in itself. And so that could be a simple thing like walking across the room from here to the door and being just present with every step. And he doesn't need to look funny, like, like walking on eggs, not like that. Just a normal walk, perhaps a little slower than usual, maybe, or maybe not even that. And they simply, you're present each step, you're present in each step. And that means in that space, you can use an activity and regard it as a temporal space in which you're not thinking. You can go for a walk, you see a lamppost, well, not in LA because nobody walks, but if you're somewhere else, <laughs> don't walk here, you get arrested. <laughs> but, <laughs> but if you walk, unless you're jogging, or you have a dog, that's okay. <laughs> but if you're just walking, you're not jogging and you don't have a dog. <laughs> I did that with a friend in Santa Monica. We walked for around some blocks and we, a police car followed us yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at night. <laughs> you're walking and there's a lamppost a few yards away. And between here and this lamppost, you practice presence. And that becomes a space of not thinking, just alert presence. And then you reach the lamppost and then you're free to think again <laughs> or to look at the next lamppost and see if there's another space of not thinking. Beautiful practice. And before, if you had gone for a walk, it might have been a purely physical thing. I want to exercise, I need to go for a walk. That's good, that's helpful. But you would have been, your mind would have been somewhere else, <laughs> which is, is the case for most people who are either walking or jogging their mind is somewhere else. And I often walk in the forest and occasionally meet people and very few are actually present where they are. Some actually carry things in their ears, noise-making machines, as if the noise-making machine in their head wasn't enough. They, they carry a noise-making, an electronic device that puts noises into their ears or they're talking to a friend while they walk about the, their problems with occasional brief glimpses of, oh, that's a beautiful tree. And, and then he said to me, <laughs> then any activity that you start with something very simple, like wiping a table with a cloth, which you have to do occasionally, like dusting. And as you wipe the table, you're wiping your mind. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Beautiful thing. Or I also recommend, I believe I said it somewhere in a book, waiting. Whenever you're waiting, you're standing in line somewhere at a store, at the airport. Use that time rather than to indulge in useless thinking to be present. You can use your breathing feeling the inner body, or being acutely aware of sense perceptions without judgment, just looking around while you wait at the supermarket. Not complaining, just you look at the cashier doing her work or his work, or the other customers. 
looking around, acutely aware of sense perceptions, like a little child hasn't been here for very long, so the little child looks like everything is new. You don't have to just, nobody will notice, you just, you're just there. In fact, the most likely thing is, I call that practicing being invisible. I often practice that, but less successfully these days, unfortunately. <laughs> Going into a, into a public place, in the state of presence, no thought, no judgment of anything or anybody, and then it is quite likely that nobody will look at you. In other words, you become semi-invisible. You attract no attention whatsoever. So I use the example of being a valley as opposed to being a mountain. So if you go into a place, not as a mountain, looking around, noticing people, thinking about, are they noticing me? That's a, a mountain, either or being, being afraid of be feeling self-conscious, you're still a mountain, but you're feeling, you don't want to be seen, but, but they're all looking at me. You're still, you're a mountain. But do either, can you go into a public place, being a valley, which means no thought, just presence, simple, alert, presence, no judgments, and then people don't, people don't see you. It's beautiful, and, and you become invisible. Now, to the ego, that's not necessarily pleasant because the ego wants some recognition, at least recognize that I'm here. <laughs> and if you can't have a, say something good about me, say something bad, at least somebody acknowledges my existence. <laughs> the ego wants to be acknowledged, but that's a very powerful, extremely peaceful way of being there in a place is to be there in an invisible entity. That reminds me of the a, a time when we, I was with Kim in Miami Beach in a cafe, and perhaps we must have been quite present there because, and of course surrounded by people with wonderful bodies. <laughs> <laughs> and we sat and sat, and the waiter just did not see us. <laughs> just, and, and after a while, I said, let's just stay and see how, for how long we are in Mesa. <laughs> and there was no end to it. Didn't, didn't see us. <laughs> now, you might say, well, perhaps we look too puny in that place, but surrounded by people with uh, beautiful bodies. But I believe it also has something to do with just being still. So that is a beautiful practice, public places being still in public places, if you want to practice with that, and all kinds of activities that are short that you would do anyway. Cooking a meal may be a long thing. If I say be present while you, depends how long your cooking, the cooking time is. If it's in two hours, then you might lose it. <laughs> but you still could start with boiling an egg, which takes maybe three minutes, and See if you can be present as you put it in the pan, fill it with water, switch on, and watch it as it comes to the boil. Or anything to do with movement, any movement. I often give this example probably because I have a glass of water next to me when I talk. Picking something up and putting it somewhere else. Or as I pick up this glass, now, this can be a presence practice, and this is then, when you couple it with movement, 
you're not going to fall below thinking because if you fall below thinking, the glass will drop out of your hand, perhaps. While the glass travels from the table to the mouse, can you be present so that it's not a means to an end, but just a movement? And then the glass travels back to the table. And while it travels back to the table, can you be just alert? No thought. So you use that movement to create a space of no thought. So this is a space of no thought here. This is the movement. And then because it's so beautiful, you do it again. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. And then the thought comes and says, I can do it. I've read all your books and I listen to your recordings on a pretty much on a daily basis. And I don't say that to build up an ego that doesn't exist. <laughs> it leads into my question. What I find in trying to practice the power of now, trying to be conscious without thought, is a very heavy inner dialogue of all the principles and things that I've read, like, how should I do this? What would Eckhart say? And, and, and actually, my thought process starts getting more active. And I think I'm losing the presence by that thought process. And then I, I think of the, the, your latest book with the cartoons, which I love, which I think there's one with a little bird in the tree. He's talking to the dog and he's very upset. And the dog says, what's wrong? And the bird says, well, you know, I'm thinking about yesterday and, and this and that, and I'm worried about what's gonna happen in a week, two weeks, it's about the future. What do I do, what do I do? And the dog just looks at him and says, stop thinking. So, it seems you try to stop thinking, but, and, and you read all this and you try to practice it, but yet in any given situation, I find that in order to get closer to practicing it or even practice it, it's causing a lot of thoughts to happen. So is that different kind of thoughts or those thoughts that I should break that kind of habit? And if so, how? Okay. Thank you. Thank you. There, there's a lot of talk these days about not just talk, actually, it's happening. Addictions, many people are addicted to all kinds of things, substances. But one of the greatest addictions, or rather the greatest addiction, never actually, you never read about it in the papers, because the people who are addicted to it don't know it. It's the addiction to thinking. It's actually addictive. Can't stop thinking. It's like can't stop drinking, can't stop smoking, can't stop eating, can't stop thinking. Thinking is the greater addiction than any of these. And it's an addiction because it's, first it's been a drug, <laughs> it's been around for so long, and uh, it's a pseudo sense of self. So it's a great reluctance on the part of most people to let go of thinking, because which is equated with the state of sleep, to let go of thinking. There isn't that much to understand in this teaching. There's a little bit to understand about how the ego works, but even that is just mainly a self-observation. The main thing about it is presence, presence. And presence is a space of no thought, but presence can also be there in the background even when thinking is happening. You can still be not completely involved in the thinking. Thinking loses the ability to create havoc in your life and confuse you. So your choice then is not to understand more or to bring some intellectual analysis to the practice, 
but to practice the state of not thinking, which can be arrived at by various ways, as you probably know, if you don't think about it, just do it. <laughs> Becoming more aware of the present moment and accept it as it is, slows down the overactive mind, is one thing. Because a lot of the overactivity of the mind is an attempt to get away from the isness, the simplicity of the present moment. So, to become more aware of the present moment as a practice, have perhaps little pointers in your office, at home, in your car, let's say, present moment or whatever, or a symbol for it. And there are different entry points into the present moment. Present moment awareness means thinking subsides, may not disappear completely, but something else arises that is primary. We call it presence or awareness. Buddhists call it mindfulness, which I don't use because it implies your mind is full of things, but it isn't, of course. It's just a mistranslation. So, uh, to be present, first of all, use the present moment to become... But how do you become conscious of the present moment? Now, when you get it, after a while you can, you can actually sense the presence of the present, so to speak, directly, and there it is. But Helpful things are sense perceptions, take you out of thinking. If you're not judging the sense perceptions, labeling, naming, looking around, anywhere, wherever you are, look around. Practice sense perceptions without this compulsive interference of naming what, what you're perceiving. Oh, that's a beautiful flower. I wonder what it's called. I don't know what it's called, so that helps. I can be free of thinking. If I know what it's called, I can say, oh, that's such and such, and then drop that. And see what it means to perceive without the interference of concepts, words. At this moment, for example, you're looking at me now. Let's say between now and now, were you thinking? No. Okay. And again, between now and now, were you thinking or present? No thought. And while I speak, do you need to think to understand what I'm saying, or can you just listen and understand it? And this is what you're doing. And so that's part of the teaching and the function of the spiritual teacher. Imparting information is secondary. What I'm telling you now is secondary. What is primary is the underlying state of consciousness, which is presence. That's the teaching. But you can't talk about that. It's underlying. But the, a sign that it's working is that while you listen, there's no thought. There's just an alert presence. And when the so-called teacher stops speaking for a moment, the alert presence remains. It does not need to be filled with anything. Like now. What is there to think about? Nothing. Now, if we do this for longer, if we're, at some point, your mind will probably start up and think, how much longer is he going to sit there? And, <laughs> <laughs> and when that happens, you can allow your mind to say, how much longer is he going to sit there and say nothing, and then come back to presence. 
and then some other thought will come. What's this all about? And then you can allow that thought to arise and then be present again. Which means you're not really, your priority is no longer to follow the thought where it wants to take you, because the thought has a magnetic pull. It wants more of your consciousness, but it wants to grow because it's a little entity. It wants to grow, so it wants your attention. And in subtle ways, it tries to get your attention. It might even use a bodily feeling. It says, God, I'm hungry suddenly. Why didn't I need to eat something? And then you think of a re what restaurant am I going to afterwards? <laughs> and so the presence is gone. You are gone. You are looking for a restaurant in your mind. <laughs> which means the thought used as an, some bodily thing to make thoughts out of it, completely pointless, because you can't find a restaurant because you're standing here. <laughs> but it can use all kinds of things to manufacture more, to get your attention. And if you're not careful, if you don't know the mechanism, it's not so much an intellectual understanding, but a simple realization that this is what the mind does. It tries to pull you in. It's fine, that's what it does. Once you know that, you can allow thought to arise without following it where it wants you to go, which is into another bigger thought and a bigger one. So then you become like, like my dog when it finds a scent. And then suddenly, even when the dog is off leash, usually she's fine, she just runs around you, but suddenly she picks up a scent and then she goes off completely unaware of surroundings or anything. You just follow that. <laughs> and she could get lost. She goes off to the horizon sometimes, just disappears. And that's, when you follow a thought, it goes like that, you can wake up 20 minutes later. And it started with being a little bit hungry and thinking of a restaurant, and it ends up with thinking about how dreadful your life is. <laughs> So you don't, you don't follow the thought, you'd say, oh, there's, there's a thought, you don't actually say it, you just, you, you, you recognize it as a thought that arises. And then the difference is the thought arises in the space of your consciousness, it no longer absorbs your whole consciousness. Then you're back to, to presence, like now. And that's the, that's the practice. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. So the spiritual teacher is primarily teaches presence. The words are pointers to it. The more important teaching comes through the, the space out of which the words come, this formless space of consciousness. This is why it's good to sit here, because somehow we can then share here this beautiful spaciousness that the majority of humans on the planet still don't know about. More and more people are beginning to realize this, but still a minority. Most humans are still completely trapped in non-spacious content 
obsessed consciousness, completely dominated by every thought that comes in, content, no space, only content, one thing after another. What do I have to think about now? Oh, this, this. Oh, oh, dreadful state. So the practice is presence, and then thought gradually loses its power to take you over completely. But choose presence, sense perceptions, become aware of sense perceptions, listen, wherever you are, what, what sounds, don't judge them, listen, look, touch even, feel the, the air on your skin, that's that sense perception. Acute awareness of sense perceptions takes you out of thinking and makes you more alive, makes you enjoy the aliveness of life much more. Whereas before you were trapped in a con dead conceptual world in the head, walking along a beautiful beach, couldn't see anything, couldn't feel anything, not there. <laughs> but sense perception is not all there is, they're beautiful as they are. But what is it that underlies all the sense perception? A field of alert stillness. This is why the sense perceptions become so beautiful, because they, there is a, they arise in that field of alert stillness, presence. That's you. And then you're awake, not, no thought. So in nature, every time your car stops at a traffic light, look at the beautiful red light. It's a form of life too. It's light. It's beautiful, and that can stop your mind. Why not, if it can stop your car? <laughs> Why can't it stop your mind? Well, that's a new practice. <laughs> and if it works, if the red light, at the, the traffic light stops your mind, you might want to install some red lights at home. <laughs> Everywhere. What do you make of people who walk out on relationships, their families or jobs to sit on the proverbial park bench so that they can wait to awaken? <laughs> in most cases, I would say to walk out of whatever your situation is in order to awaken doesn't work. Awakening is usually within where you are right now. If you can't awaken there, it's unlikely that a change of environment will do it. However, and for most people to stay where they are and bring presence into where they are and what they are doing is the right path. There's no general rule, however, for these things. There are isolated cases. I've known of one or two people who actually left their families. There was such a strong draw or inner impulse and they had to obey that impulse. They couldn't say no to that. And they actually awakened somewhere else. It can happen. It's rare. Whenever people say, I can't do it where I am now, usually that's not the case. But there are always exceptions to every rule. And in some rare cases, it happens that people do walk out something that even Christ, uh, Jesus acknowledged, he said, I don't know if he actually said that or whether somebody wrote it down incorrectly. He even talked about hating your family. <laughs> I, I doubt that he said hating for your family, but he said 
What is absolutely important is your spiritual awakening. Nothing else is more important than that. But you can't usually separate it out from your, your usual surroundings. You, you don't need to remove yourself, usually, unless you're one of the rare ones who do have to do that. But then it's not a question of deciding. The impulse will be so strong, it won't be a decision-making process. It won't be coming from your mind saying, should I stay or should I leave? Then if you, you can't help it, and then it just happens. Do people start becoming nicer as you become more aware, or is it just that you no longer get consumed by the anger that arises when in the company of not-so-nice people? Well, I would say both. When you become more aware, you're not reactive anymore towards people. You don't personalize things anymore, make everything personal, and are always looking out for some kind of hidden insult or look at what's his real intention behind what he's saying, what does he really want. There's an openness and a non-judgmental attitude towards others. Non-reactive relationships then generate already more consciousness in the other because unconsciousness, two unconscious people to strengthen their, each other's unconsciousness. So if somebody says or does something that may be unconscious and I don't react to it, it does not become amplified through my reaction. If somebody says or does something unconscious and I react to it, condemn it, even if it's just in my mind, I actually amplify it and I myself become part of that unconsciousness through my judgment. If I can be non-reactive, I can allow other humans their behavior because that's present stage of the consciousness. They behave as they have to behave at this moment. So I allow them to behave, to do what they do. I accept it. And then suddenly there is a different energy there. So I don't amplify that. And those people then, I don't condemn them. I don't equate their unconscious behavior with who they are. That's why it's so important not to judge others. It doesn't mean you kind of go through life saying, oh, they're all, everything is fine. That you don't see unconscious behavior. You see what they do, you know what they do, but you don't equate that with who they are. You know it is an overlay on it is human unconsciousness, they're expressing that. It's not who they are in their essence. If you confuse the unconscious behavior with who they are in their essence, then that's called judgment. If you see that somebody's doing something extremely unconscious, that's not judgment, because you don't equate it with who that person is. And so on. you don't say, he is evil. That statement would be wrong of anybody, because in essence, Nobody is evil, but they manifest extreme unconsciousness, which we can call in many cases evil. So that's important then not to strengthen that and to get trapped in illusion, because when we believe in our own judgments, it's not only we trap others in the judgments, we ourselves get trapped in the judgments. Also, people become nicer, which is true, what the questioner says. People become nicer when you're present and aware, because they can feel the absence of judgment in you, even if they don't, they, can, they may not be able to tell you, but I can feel the absence of judgment. They only feel it as 
a certain goodwill flowing out from you towards them or a, an acceptance flowing out from you towards them. And humans can feel that, even unconscious humans, unconscious, they can feel that. And everybody is grateful for that. Underneath all their madness, they feel grateful because somehow in that acceptance, in that goodwill that kind of flows out in that space, through that space of acceptance, they feel a little bit more themselves than they usually are. And when a human feels a little bit more oh, at ease in themselves when they come to you, they like you and they are very nice to you. They don't know why. And their usual ego patterns, not all of them are operating anymore. Some may still come up, of course. So the ego is, le is less, it, the ego doesn't feel threatened. It feels, oh, there's no need to be that defensive here. The ego feels it can kind of relax a little bit. Of course, it's still there in the background, where it just like a little, like a dog. <laughs> but it's not in its usual state, like the Rottweiler. <laughs> so it just, okay, can relax a little now. And then they, they like you, so you become a nice person to them. That's perhaps all they know. When they ask him, oh, he's such a nice guy. Like to see him, like to go to him, and such a nice, okay. So yes, you do experience that. So partly simply because presence, acceptance is there and is recognized, and partly because there's the absence of reaction when somebody suddenly blames you, for example, says, you left that door open, you shouldn't. And say, oh, I did? Yeah. The usual ego thing, of course, is to say, no, I didn't. <laughs> Whether you did or not, because it's, con it's regarded as an in, as the ego feels diminished when somebody blames you. You did that. No, I didn't do that. You did. <laughs> And it starts from there, and then escalates. Why do you always blame me? Look what you did yesterday. <laughs> That's called reaction, defensiveness. And that's not there, so then it's just, you're stating the facts. You left that door open again. No, I didn't. And then there's no further arguing. Yes, you did. Well, maybe, if that's what you believe. Or you say, Yes, you're right, I did that again, sorry. You don't feel diminished when you were wrong. The ego feels diminished. Just to admit that you've been wrong is a dreadful thing. So the ego can't do that. It's like a little death. To, to say that you've been wrong is a little... And, and if somebody proves to you that you've been wrong, it's even worse. <laughs> and then some people will start hitting you. Right. That's, uh, that's how the ego can, an ego can easily do. If it's so obvious that you've been wrong and somebody proves it, you, then you start hitting them. That's a big <laughs> argument. <laughs> and if you knock him out, the ego still wins. <laughs> yes, there is a general improvement in relationships, of course, with presence. Another question here about daily life. Those are very useful questions to everybody. They're basically everybody's question. How do you balance 
just being on a moment-to-moment -moment basis all the time with having to make a living and paying bills. That has been the only difficult part for me. How do you balance just being on a moment-to-moment -moment basis all the time, all the time, with having to make a living and paying bills? That has been the only difficult part for me. Yes, in other words, how do you balance or bring together being and doing? Otherwise, you can only experience presence and being when you're sitting absolutely still or you're not being disturbed by anything. That's fine too, at least you have it then, but it's not enough. So as you rightly say, the question is a good one. How do you balance that with paying bills and so on? In other words, activity in daily life. How can you have that awareness in your daily activities rather than lose yourself in the doing? Well, as a practice, any practice that we now talk about presupposes that there is a minimum of presence in you, because without that, you can't practice. If there's a minimum of presence in you, in any situation, then there's something that you can do. And a minimum of presence or awareness means you're not totally lost, but you can be aware at the beginning of an activity so that you don't get drawn into it so totally that you lose yourself in it. And usually it means the future becomes more important than the present moment. That means you're becoming lost in doing. That's a good indicator. The future moment becomes more important than this moment, and you need to deal with that. So as a conscious practice, you can do, what do you need to do now? Okay, well, you mentioned paying bills and having to make a living, whatever it is that you do. The present moment, is it a means to an end for you? Or are you honoring the doing in this moment so that it is not primarily a means to an end? Are you trying to get to the future moment more than you want to be in the present moment? That's usually the case with unconscious living. And usually people are stressed because of that continuous movement of the pull of future, which is no more than the pull of a thought of future, because there is no future out there. I've never seen it. So the future is the thought of future. So you can, the balance between being and doing is done by being present in the doing, by giving your attend, fullest attention to the doing, rather than believing that you need to get to the end of the doing. Give your fullest attention to whatever your activity is in your daily activities. Don't make it a means to an end that includes any human interaction. Low-quality human interaction, we've all experienced that. Low-quality human interaction is when you meet a human being who is treating you as a means to an end. And so you become reduced to, if you see somebody in a restaurant, you become reduced to a customer. And so he's not a human being. If you see a doctor, you become reduced to a patient. He doesn't see you unless he's aware or she doesn't see you. He's, you become a patient, you become reduced and only wants to get it over and done with. 
the person who's trying to sell you something, to this person, you are a means to an end. He wants to, he or she wants to get to the future moment where the sale is completed. If you refuse to go along with it and you're not going to buy what he's offering, he's going to be in a negative state. And the negative state in him is already present even while he's talking to you and still wanting you to sell something because there's a strong desire to, for you to finally come to the end of it already. He is using you as a means to an end so that he can get to the future moment where he thinks he needs to be. <laughs> and you can feel that, and you can feel that this is not a high quality human interaction. And a lot of interaction between humans in our society is of that kind, because they're all just wanting to use the other in their desire, compulsion, compulsive desire to arrive at the future point where they need to be. So life gets reduced to something unpleasant, superficial. Nobody's here, they're not, they're not there. Only so, you, instead of demanding that these people should change, of course it needs to start with you. Don't make this moment into a means to an end, because it's precious, it's all you ever have. And whatever appears in this moment is precious. It's the form that this moment takes. So if you're with another human being, it's a precious moment. It's the form that this moment takes. Don't make it into a means to an end. Honor the form of this moment. Honor this moment. If you're dealing with another human being, let's say in business, you're honoring this moment. You're honoring this human being. You give, in other words, you give this moment your fullest attention. You give the other human being who happens to be there at this moment your fullest attention. Your attention isn't 50, 60, 70% in the future where you want to be. No, it's here completely. And then you, if you're a waiter, you will see that your tips increase a hundredfold if you give every guest in your fullest attention and not treat them as a means to an end. If you're a salesman, you'll be extremely successful because the people will love you, because everybody loves to be given fullest attention. So you realize the second, it's second, the situation that every life situation is secondary. Whatever it is, consists of is secondary. Primary is your practice of presence, of attention, of awareness. So you use whatever life gives you to do Bring that element of attention to it, of aware presence, and do it with infused, the doing becomes infused with presence. And it shifts. If you thought your job was boring, well, there was most likely not, not enough presence in the doing. Even menial jobs, you can become transformed through presence. I have occasionally witnessed, not very often, People at a toll booth where cars stop every few seconds, a car stops and they say, two dollars please. Now, one would think that's not a, an interesting job where you can be present, but very rarely, once or twice in my life, I have seen somebody there who emanated awareness or presence and everybody was, everybody who stopped there, every driver, was given fullest attention in that moment. The words didn't matter, thank you, two dollars, thank you, have a nice day. But the energy behind it, 
Again, what we said earlier, situations are secondary, whatever happens. So treat your whole life as an excuse, whatever situation arises, it's an opportunity for bringing the dimension of presence or awareness in. Don't believe that the situation is what ab absolutely matters. What absolutely matters is your state of consciousness. Secondary is what you do. In other words, who you are or what you are, it's your state of consciousness is primary. The doing flows out of the being. It's a practice. Daily life is spiritual practice. One way of talking about what is Zen, one Zen master def simply defined Zen as doing one thing at a time. That's Zen. No, you can't get a more simpler definition than that of people spend years trying to figure out what Zen is all about in monasteries and still can't figure it out. And this Zen master says, doing one thing at a time. Is that it? Yes. Well, that stops your mind. And then what's left? What's left for you to do is doing one thing at a time. Not be over there, but be here, be present in the doing. And already you are practicing presence. One thing at a time. This fullest attention to this one thing. There's only this moment. And this moment then becomes different. It changes, its, its quality changes from low quality to high quality. The doing changes, the relationship changes to high, high quality. What I call high quality implies there is the awareness becomes part of this situation. You bring in a new dimension. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Eckhart Tolle, Essential Teachings, the podcast. You can follow these essential teachings on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't yet, go to Spotify and follow this podcast. Join us next week for more enlightened teachings from Eckhart Tolle. Thank you for listening.